Hi, everybody. This is uh, Silvio Canto in Dallas, uh, Texas, on Saturday, January the 27th. And welcome to our commentary. Welcome to our conversation about the life and times of Jose Marti. Uh, joining us today is our good friend, Fernando Hernandez, who's been on our show many times before, great friend uh, in Florida, and someone who knows a great deal about the life and times of Jose Marti. So, Fernando, welcome. It's always great to have you. Thank you, Sylvia. I appreciate the, uh, the invitation and the ability to uh, reach out to people to talk about this uh, exemplary and fascinating person in Jose Martin. Yes, he is. I should say to the audience uh, that uh, on Friday, we invited Fernando to speak here in Dallas by video as well to a group that we've had here for a long time in the Dallas area called Grupo Internacional de Dallas. And uh, many of the topics that we'll, we'll be talking about today were, were part of that presentation. I guess the biggest difference, uh, Fernando, is that you did that one in Spanish and this one we're going to do in English. But other than that, uh, everybody had a lot of fun with your presentation yesterday. Uh, you had a lot of new information, that, for me especially, uh, uh, about the life and times of this man. But let's begin, uh, Fernando, uh, Tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us about your life and how you became, uh, how do we got here? How we got here, uh, Fernando? Okay, well, good morning to everybody. Uh, I was born in Banes Oriente and uh, in 1952. I'm divulging my age now, 71. And I came to the United States in 1962 via Operation Pedro Pan when I was uh, nine years old. Spent uh, nine months in Miami, with a, with a relative, a dear cousin, and then moved up to New York City, my brother and I, uh, to live with our maternal aunt. And about four and a half years later, our parents came. So I grew up in New York City. And ever since uh, 50 years almost, I've been living in Miami. And during the course of my uh, stay here in Miami in, the, in recent years, I have uh, written a few books in English about the Cuban American community in the United States. And I also written a, a, a couple of books in Spanish as well. No, I didn't. So this is what I'm all about. Uh, talking <laughs> about Cuba, talking about the Pedro Pan experience. Yeah. So thank you again, Silvio. Well, no, it's our pleasure. The Pedro Pan experience, of course, is such an interesting experience because you were one of 14,000 uh, boys and girls of different ages that, that came here. And you were very fortunate that you could reunite with your parents uh, yes. eventually. Some, unfortunately, didn't have that opportunity. And uh, so we, we, uh, we've we always been very thoughtful of the Pedro Pan uh, children and their many contributions uh, to the United States. In fact, if I could quickly ask you about that, give me a couple of examples. Uh, I mean, we have one here in our Babalu family. And that's Carlos Eire, who is a great author and a contributor to Babalu and uh, a great friend. But give me a couple of other Pedro Pan, or I think you call him Pedro Pan. What do you call him? Pedro Panis? Is that what you call Sometimes him? Sometimes we call each other Pedro Panis or, or Pedro Panis. Okay. Depending on the mood. Yeah, give me a, a couple of uh, examples of Pedro Panis who we know about but may not know who, that they are Pedro Panis. Yes, there's a, a couple of, uh, of friends of mine who live in the Miami area. One is Angel Cañete or Angel Canete, 
and the other one is Benny Press. Both of these uh, young guys, they both have worked for NASA uh, at the space shuttle level. So Angel Canete worked for NASA as an engineer, and Benny Pratt is very much involved in the Mars exploration that's going on today. Wow. So we have two Pedro Pans who are highly qualified upper echelon engineers working for NASA. Wow. And wasn't uh, one of the U.S. senators also a Pedro Pan? I'm yes. Uh, we had a senator. Yeah, the one before Rubio. From Florida, from Florida. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, the name is Casey right now. No, Mel, I know. Mel Martinez. Mel Martinez, yeah. He was a Pedro Pan too, right? I believe he was, yes. And Mel there Martinez. was also a very famous musician. I mean, who was the musician who was also a Pedro Pan? Willie Chirino. Willie Chirino, okay. So so the Pedro Panis have, uh, have done quite well for themselves here in the United States. And it's a great credit to, to the Pedro Panis and a great credit to their families. Well, let's talk a little bit about Jose Marti. We are doing it today, of course, because January 28th is going to be anniversary number 171, 171 years uh, when he was born in Havana, Cuba. He was born, uh, as I said, in Havana. His parents were Spanish. What yes. can you tell us about his parents and maybe a few things about the early years of Jose Marti, you know, when he was just a boy in Cuba? Yes, his, uh, his parents, as you say, were from Spain. His father, Mariano Marti, he was from Valencia. And his mother, Doña Leonor, she was born in uh, Tenerife, which is in the Canary Islands. Uh, a lot of uh, Cubans, including myself, uh, or my great-grandparents came from the Canary Islands. So we have a close relationship in terms of uh, culture, the way that we speak of the Canarians and, and the Cuban people. So they were rather poor immigrant family, even though they were from Spain, because they had... Jose Marti, and he had like seven sisters. So things were kind of difficult in terms of a monetary gain during that time. At that time, slavery was legal in Cuba. And his father, Mariano, he had a couple of slaves that helped him in his tobacco industry. He was a tobacco maker. So did they live in in a residential area in Havana, or did they live yes. in a more rural section of the province no, of La Habana? They lived in Havana. They lived in Havana, where uh, that was a major uh, center of commerce and a business in Cuba at that time. So this is how he grew up. He grew up with Spanish parents, one who had a, a couple of slaves, which is completely against the young Jose Marti's way of thinking, actually. Right. So when did, at what point did young Jose Marti begin, let's say, to think about the subject of Cuban independence? Uh, obviously, being in a Spanish home, uh, I don't know if his parents were, were the kinds that would bring up that topic. So as far as you can tell from, from your study of Jose Marti, when did he start, you know, thinking about the fact that he was living in an island that was a Spanish colony, but he wanted that island to be independent of Spanish rule? When, 
When did he start thinking about that, uh, Fernando? He began when he was a young teenager. And when I say young, I'm not talking about 18 or 19. When he was 16 years old, he, his uh, major interest at, at that time was painting. But he quickly turned towards writing, poetry, articles, etc. And when he was 16 years old, he, uh, he made up his own newspaper in Cuba. And one of his uh, articles that he published was a story called Abdallah. Abdallah was a fictional characterization of a country that was in the process of becoming free, a country that was under the yoke of a superior military power that was in the process of liberating itself. Now, when you talk about being a young person, like 16 years old, and with Abdallah's article, he was telling the world, I am against Spanish oppression, against Spanish tyranny. So getting back to your question, we're talking about Martí was 16 years old when he let the world know how he stood. Well, you know what I find fascinating? This is something that I didn't know about that newspaper that he started. But what I find fascinating is how easy it is today to do a blog. For example, I have one, you have one probably, and many people have blogs, and how easy it is to have websites. Um, and, you know, even, even a newspaper, uh, although that's not as popular anymore, but it's still much easier to do now. Back then, printing something required a lot of time. Printing machines, he, he probably had to go somewhere and get these copies printed. I mean, so it took a lot of work for some uh, a young man of 16 to create his own newspaper or newsletter, uh, Fernando. Yes, exactly. I, I, I would presume that in order to cover his costs, he would uh, perhaps either sell it and or get some type of advertisement from local businesses. The thing about Jose Marti and his family, uh, we have to think about put ourselves in his parents' shoes. Here are two Spanish immigrants whose son was born in the island who was turning against the motherland, as we, as we can say, and how difficult it must have been. They were caught in a, you know, between a rock and a hard place. And they, they were trying to appease his ability to express himself, but at the same time, the tremendous fear of the Spanish oppression and what they could do to his son. As a matter of fact, when he was like two or three years old, he went with his parents to Valencia to meet some of his uh, parents there. And the relationship was very close with his parents and the family left behind in Spain. But Martí himself, at that young age, he was focused. He was very determined to see a different path for the future of Cuba. Yeah, that's fascinating. That's, that's just um, a fascinating aspect of his life that I honestly uh, uh, did not know. Now, just for the to put it in some historical context, 1853, he's born, let's say he's a young child, a young boy, a teenager. We're talking now 1870, maybe, 69, 1869, 1870. Uh, by that time, the independence movement in Cuba was very well developed. I mean, you had the, what was it, the Battle of 1868? Uh, so you had, I mean, so he was growing up as a teenager 
sort of like you and me grew up as a teenager, let's say, uh, you know, at a time when there was a lot of music or there was a lot of political consciousness back in, in our younger days. And so he was growing up at a time when talking about Cuban independence was probably a hot topic. I mean, it wasn't like just a small group of people, probably a lot of people in the streets, a lot of other fellow islanders like he was, were talking about Cuban independence, Fernando. Yes, because as a teenager, he he and his best friend, Fermín Valdez Dominguez, and some other Cuban boys uh, got together and they wrote a manifesto or a letter about the liberation of Cuba from Spanish joke, yoke. Now, this letter, the Spanish authorities confiscated and they accused him of uh, sedition, of being a troublemaker, etc. So at that time, he was sent to prison. We're talking about a 16-year-old boy who the Spanish authorities could see was a potential threat to the island's uh, status as a Spanish colony. So at that time, he, he went to jail. The thing about Jose Marti was he, physically, he was not a strong physical specimen. He was rather, rather small, fragile, we could say. So he suffered a great deal during his day, stay in, uh, in Spain, I'm sorry, in, in Cuba, before he was deported to Spain. Would you like me to uh, expand on that, his exile? Or? Yeah, well, that's what we're going to talk about. I wanted to go next to the whole topic of exile because, you know, many of us, of course, uh, are exiles ourselves, even though we've we spend most of our lives here. I mean, I mean, my parents would always use the word exiliado, right, when we would mm -hmm. talk about ourselves. Uh, you and I probably don't use it as much because we've grown here. Uh, we've got to spend so much time. But my parents used to use that word all the time. And among the, their Cuban friends, they would call themselves exiliados. So Jose Martí also had a, a part of his life when he was an exiliado. And I understand that part of that was in Spain and part of that was in the United States. So if you could tell us a little bit about his days as an exile and his days in, in exile and maybe a couple of experiences uh, from, from those years in exile, uh, Fernando. Yes. Uh, one of the, uh, the fascinating aspects of his life was here was this young boy whose parents are Spanish and he was rebelling against the Spanish rule. And when he was, as I mentioned, 16, he was sent to Spain. He was desterrado, which is the right word. He was kicked out. He went to Spain and he lived there for just a couple of years, uh, 1871. That's when he arrived. And then he had a second exile when he was like 26 years old. He was kicked out again. He was desterrado once again because of his... Uh, revolutionary uh, tactics and his, his movement. And I think one of the sad things is that he went to the country where his parents were born. So you can imagine the tremendous psychological effect that had on him and in his parents. His parents tried the very best not to have him exiled, but to no avail. Uh, so it was, it was very difficult time uh, for him to to live because separated from his parents, 
being in a country that was that was ruling Cuba with an oppressive uh, hand, but still he he carried on. He he never he never negated his point of view right. or his vision. Right now, I'm just curious. This is just a curiosity. What is the difference between exiliado and desterrado? Now, to me, it's the same thing. But maybe the difference is that exiliado is a choice, maybe, and desterrado is when you are more like deported. Would I be would I be correct in, in those two definitions? You are right. Okay. I looked up desterrado in English, and there isn't really a word that uh, applies as the same meaning in Spanish. When you are yes. desterrado, means you are kicked out of your country. Well, that's it. I mean, and I'm glad you said that because desterrado, if you hear the word tierra, right, somewhere in that yes, in that yes. in that word, right, so right. I mean, you are driven out of your land. Uh, let's say, uh, like deported. Uh, although deported doesn't necessarily mean from your land, you could be deported. Right. Uh, but but I'm not just an interesting word. I had never heard the word desterrado before. In talking about Jose Martí, I think you mentioned it yesterday in that other presentation as well that you made. Uh, exiliado is something that we, you and me and our families, used all the time. Yes. Uh, but in this case, now, what this brings us now, the years that he's in Spain and the newspaper and all the other experiences, it takes us to about 1880, basically. You know, he's now 20 what, he's 27 years old, something like that, 1880s, the 1880s. Mm -hmm. And he's in, in Spain. I believe he spent some time in the United States as well. Tell us about that. Yeah. When he arrived in Spain, he took advantage of educational opportunities. He went to the University Central of Madrid, where he studied law. And then he finished his studies in Saragossa because the, the living... The cost of living in Madrid was very, very high, and he didn't have much money. People don't realize that Jose Marti was not a wealthy man. He was he was poor. He was when he lived in Spain, he was poor. He he and his friend uh, Fermín Valdez Dominguez, who was also desterrado in Spain, they met up in Madrid and they continued their political activities, and through different people, he was able to give uh, tutoring classes to wealthy families to make extra money. That's how he survived. That's how he survived. Uh, the thing about Jose Marti is that in his 42 years of existence, he lived in seven different countries, which is just amazing how a person at that time because of, you know, difficult travels. It took a long time by ship, etc. He went to seven different countries. And I'm going to mention them to you. And I don't want to make a mistake. I don't look at my notes here. He lived in, uh, in Cuba, Spain, Venezuela, United States. He lived in the United States 15 years. Just about all that time in New York City. Honduras, Guatemala, and in Mexico. Um, Everywhere that he went, Silvio, he had the same dream. He had the same goal. Right. He never said, "I'm going to give up." Yes. Yeah. Now you mentioned uh, there. There is you can go to Spain, I believe, and visit the house where he lives, right? Or New York, one of those two, right? Yes. Uh, when he lived in Madrid, he lived in three different places. One of them was a, a boarding house, uh, but there is a house 
those of you who plan to go to Madrid in the near future, you can go to Calle El Desengaño. That's what it's called. Calle El Desengaño, number 10. Number 10. And there is a, uh, a plaque outside of the building that says, in this building, Jose Marti lived and stayed such and forth. Such, such and forth. It is close to La Gran Vía, which is in central Madrid. Right. It's an interesting name for a street, Desengaño, having to do with his, I mean, with what happened yes. to him. That's just interesting coincidence there. Now, when when did the people of Cuba at that time, again, we're talking now about the 1880s. So we're talking, you know, 1880s and, you know, late 1880s, maybe. So when did the average Cuban, uh, actually, I don't even know if they, were, if they were called Cubans at the time, but the islanders, the people there living in the Spanish colony, when did they begin to realize that there was a young man named Jose Martí who was a prominent uh, opponent of, of the Spanish crown. I mean, when did he become famous uh, in Cuba so that uh, if you and I were were in, in Cuba in the 1880s and I would say Jose Martí, you would say, yeah, Jose Martí, the, the fellow who's talking about Cuban independence. When did that happen, uh, Fernando? It happened actually way back again when he was 16, when he uh, founded and created La Patria Libre, that newspaper that I mentioned before, uh, I am sure his thoughts and his uh, mindset was transmitted. And through La Patria Libre, people started reading uh, about this young kid writing about a future of Cuba without, uh, you know, Spanish rule. So that's when he he, he started getting well known. And obviously that really uh, made the Spanish authorities very weary of him and his activities. Back then, when he was, I'm just amazed to be to be honest with you, to think that a 16-year-old boy posed such a dramatic effect on an on imperial Spain. Yeah, where did he get this uh, incredible personality from? Was it his father, his mother? Were either one of them, uh, you know, people interested in politics? Uh, I mean, where did he get this from? I think he was born that way. Uh, I firmly believe that each and every country has one person in a hundred years that's just outstanding. And I think that Jose Martí was born with a particular mission. And a man, a young man, and a, a man when he died at 42, he never wavered. I think that was his life mission. Yeah. So he had that 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 commitment, if you will. Yes. Uh, you know, it's interesting because I, I have, uh, you know, when my late father, we would talk uh, about Jose Martí. And one of the things that my late father remembers very much was 1953, the 100th anniversary of his, you know, of his birth. Uh, and my father says that there were huge, you know, celebrations in Cuba, huge uh marches in, in Cuba and and you know here we are talking about 171 uh years after after he was born but he has a tremendous impact and this is fascinating to me he has a tremendous impact on both sides of the political debate i mean if you go to cuba obviously the the com communist regime celebrates him and if you come here we celebrate him i i told you the story that my father had like a little picture 
of Jose Marti in his home office with a literally a copy of an old Cuban peso that had the Jose Marti photo on it. So my father, my parents, that generation was heavily influenced by Jose Marti. But if you go to Cuba today, the communist regime uh, does the same thing. So it's like both sides are using his words to justify what they believe, uh, Fernando. Yes, as a matter of fact, uh, Fidel Castro once said that uh, Jose Marti was the the intellectual behind the Cuban Revolution, uh, el pensador uh, intelectual, el fundador intelectual of, of Cuban communism, uh, communist revolution, which you can take that with a grain of salt, you know, because uh, Marti was a he was a believer, uh, he was a person that was for the betterment of the Cuban people. So they used and abused his thoughts right. to satisfy their ends. Right. Yeah, I, I somehow I, I, I don't know which part of Fidel Castro's life he was influenced by Jose Marti, whether it was when he said he was not a communist or when he said later that he was. I'm not sure what... What part of Jose of that? But of course, his life ended in 1995. Uh, he was. Uh, what actually happened that day? From what you know, I mean, you know, you hear all kinds of stories that he wanted to fight. Uh, yeah, there's all kinds of stories. So, the best of your knowledge, what do you think happened on that fateful day, May 20th, 1895, uh, Fernando? Yeah, he... Um, or wait a minute, May 19th, forgive May me. May 19th. 19th. Yeah, Correct. May 19th, yeah. Uh, he, he returned to to Cuba after 15 years living in New York City as an exile. And he was a man true to his word because he was there fighting, yeah? fighting against the Spanish uh, military. And also, let's, let's be honest, there were some criollos, people born in Cuba who were Cubans, Criollos, who uh, who participated in with the Spanish uh, militia, so he he took it upon himself. He was not supposed to go marching towards the Spanish lines fighting. They were hoping for him to stay behind, because everybody knew that he was the heart and soul of the Cuban movement. But he never wavered. He got on his horse, and he took off, fighting, shooting his uh, pistol. And he was hit by three rounds uh, from the other side. And, and that's where he died in Dos Rios. Uh, but he lived up to another possible hero would have said, let me stay behind because right. I am the brain of this operation and the people need to see me alive. No. So he died fairly quick. I mean, that was a sudden death, probably. He got hit by the bullets and he died right. I mean, he didn't live for a few days or anything. No, no, no. He, you know, died. he died right. And, Did the uh, Spanish troops or the people who shot him know that they had shot Jose Marti, as far as you know? Uh, I believe that they recognized him from, right. from uh, drawings, etc. And uh, they, they took his body away quickly and they buried him because the, the thing is that the Spanish military at that time, who was in charge of, of that battle, he, he spoke highly of Jose Marti when they buried him. Yeah, that, that's how much credit and respect they have for him. So did, did they bury him in an unknown grave? Or, I mean, uh, was his body at some point 
uh, placed uh, in, in that statue, and I think it's in Oriente, right, where they have that statue, that monument to him? Yeah, they it, it, they had to wait a few years after Cuba became uh, independent to restore his body to a proper grave. Okay, all right. So, all right, so so he, he was eventually buried. I think it's in, where is that monument? Is I think it's in Oriente somewhere, right? In Santiago, isn't it, where... He is, I believe that's where his remains are, or am I wrong? Uh, I believe so. I'm a little bit uh, unsure of the answer. Okay, yeah. all right. Uh, maybe one of our friends can can send us a comment if he knows about that. But um, So that brings us, I, I guess, to the question that I always think about so much. It's a question that, um, that I ponder with, uh, and it's speculation, obviously. This is a question that doesn't have a firm answer. So it is speculation on, on my part and, and your part or anybody. What would Jose Martí say if, you know, if we had a chance to, obviously it's an impossible situation. What do you think he would say about what happened to Cuba? Uh, three years after, of course, came the Spanish-American War. Then we had uh, 50 to 60 years of an imperfect uh, Republican government, but clearly a period of prosperity for the Cuban people. Uh, and then now we have now 60 years of this communist dictatorship, uh, not a period of prosperity for the Cuban people. In fact, millions that have left the country like you and me. What do you think he would he would say about all of this uh, based on what he wrote and a little speculation on our part, uh, Fernando? I would think that uh, amidst the tears rolling down his eyes, I think Jose Marti would say, when I was 16, I was put in prison, hard labor. His physical body took a toll because of the imprisonment. He was operated twice while he was in Spain to, due to the consequences of being in the Cuba's prison. To see so many thousands and thousands of Cubans when the communist regime took over enslaved people by putting them in jail, he would say, I, I fought and I died to avoid this type of government. And here is the communist government since 1959 who ruthless put people in jail, beat them up, execute them, make their lives miserable, force them to leave, just like I was forced to leave. Right. I think that will be his foremost thought and right. his expression. What I stood for, these people and violated, violated every single one of my reasons. And I'm sure he would think about the many 16-year-olds that the communists have put in jail or even executed or have put in forced labor. I'm, I'm sure that would have to be in his mind uh, as well. Now, there's also a very popular uh, idea that you know goes around, and in, in particularly in left-wing circles, that uh, Jose Martí was kind of a socialist in his thinking, uh, that he was a left-leaning kind of writer or thinker. I always say to that, be careful with that kind of analysis, because when Jose Martí was living back in the 1880s, 1890s, I mean, those were, were totally different times when it came, in, it came to capitalism and socialism. They thought different things back then than we would think about uh, today, I mean, it doesn't sound to me from his life that he was anti-capitalist at all, uh, Fernando. Well, he he realized we have to put things in, in the proper context, correct? Back then, 
the, the Industrial Revolution created many opportunities, but at the same time, there were a lot of abuses. That is a fact. So he saw the, the dark side, the ugly side of that type of a development, but at the same time, he always harped upon the human spirit, the ability of the human spirit to overcome these, uh, these problems, these abuses. So the leftist side always say, look, Jose Marti once said this, therefore he must be a socialist or communist. That is hogwash. Right. He was a very spiritual person that believed in the equality of, of men right. and a bright, peaceful future. One final thought, uh, uh, Silvio, he, even though he was against the Spanish rule in Cuba, he never hated the Spanish people. Right. And he never advocated those hateful Spaniards. No, no, no. He was talking about two different things, the ruling class versus the regular people. Right. No, I think that's true. That's uh, that's clear uh, all throughout his uh his life. Well, Fernando, I want to thank you so much for uh, sharing some of your thoughts today. Obviously, this is a, a very complicated uh, story, a very complicated man, a man that we could speak for hours. And in fact, uh, many books have been written about Jose Marti. And uh, we certainly encourage uh, some of the young Cubans, the ones who were born here, to uh, to read more about this man. Maybe they would understand their grandparents and fathers and parents a little bit more if they understood uh, Marti. But in my own personal uh, story, uh, I know that uh, my father was a great admirer of Jose Marti. And, uh, um, you know, he, he always had his books. And one of the most exciting things that I ever did for him was I went to Mexico on a business trip one time and I went into a, a bookstore and I asked the, the, the owner of the bookstore, the merchant, I asked him, listen, you know, I'm Cuban and my father is in the United States. Do you have a, a lot of books here in Spanish about Jose Marti? And he takes me over to this section and he points uh, quite, a, quite a few books. So I came home with about seven books or something like that, a bunch of books. And I gave them to my father. And it was like Reyes Magos and Christmas uh, <laughs> together. My father was thrilled. I could that imagine. He could be, that he could bring all these books, Versos Sencillos, all these other books, yes, yes, into yes. His, uh, his home library. Because, of course, you couldn't find those books in the United States. Uh, you know, they just weren't. Maybe a library had them, but certainly not uh, the kinds of books that he would have in his bookstore. So those books, I became a, my father became a real fan of me. That day that I came home with all those books from Mexico City. And what I found interesting uh, about Jose Marti also, Fernando, was how much interest there is in Jose Marti among some of our fellow Latin Americans. And yes. that's something that really I wasn't I wasn't expecting that. But if you go to, you know, Mexico in particular, there's great interest in him. And the bookstores are full of his books everywhere you go. Uh, at least in Mexico, even in Venezuela. I saw uh, a little bit of that in Venezuela before before Chavez, that is. I don't know now, but... Uh, you know, the, uh, his uh, Versos Sencillos are just a wonderful work of art. I mean, right. you read the Versos Sencillos and it's, it is such a simple poetry, but it is so deep and it has a tremendous, profound effect upon the reader 
and I think this is what attracts uh, folks from all over Latin America. Uh, right. Before we leave, I have to say. No, but I, let me just say one quick thing about Versus yeah. and Sears, please. Just one quick thing. I think everybody in this audience of our generation can relate to the moment when you were in the car and your mom was in the car and the Sandpipers came on singing Guantanamera. Yes. And he goes, Yo soy un hombre sincero, donde crece la palma? And it's like my mother looks at me and says, Y eso? Que es eso? Que es eso? Uh, you know, and, and I think that everybody in this audience of our generation who remembers that first time on the radio that uh, the Sandpipers came on with Juan Taramera. Yes. Uh, yes. I'm, okay. I'm, you know what I'm talking about. That, yeah, I agree. Yeah. I was going to say that uh, I'm going to leave you with this uh, phrase from Jose Marti, which I think epitomizes his life, which is this. Para Cuba que sufre la primera palabra. Cuba was his whole being. It's a remarkable life because, as you say, you know, as, as such a, an amazing, such an amazing young man, uh, humble beginnings, and a short life. I think we could also speculate too as what would have happened to him had he lived, uh, you know, into into a, a more typical life. Let's say into the 20th century. Um, you know, he died uh, even before the Spanish-American War. So. We can speculate about that too. But Fernando, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to join us. And uh, we certainly hope that all the young generation, the ones that uh, that came after us uh, here in the United States, that they get in touch with their with their inner Marti so that yes. they discover. Because as I, as I said many times, if you want to understand your grandfather or you want to understand your father of that generation, knowing a little bit about Marti, uh, what I should say, not just grandfathers, but grandparents, and both mothers and fathers, you, you'll 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 understand them a little bit better if you know who Jose Marti is. Fernando, thank you. Have a great day, and and uh, I'll uh, we'll do this again some other time. Okay. Thank you so much for your thank time. Thank you, Silvio. Thank you so much for your time. Well, that was our good friend uh, Fernando Hernandez. We've had him on the show several times, and uh, today talking about. Jose Marti, who on January 20th, 1853, was born in Cuba, uh, as Fernando was telling us, born of Spanish parents, and uh, a young man who had a great vision, had a great uh, desire to see Cuba, to see Cuba free. Unfortunately, he never saw a, a free Cuba, and I'm sure that if he was around today, as Fernando was saying, he would not be happy with uh, what happened to the, the island and, and the country that he loves so much. Thank you for listening. This is uh, Silvio Canto in Dallas, and we'll talk to you later. Bye-bye, everybody.